getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the easy R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them, and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to SpeechDynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. Welcome to the Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp O'Shart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Apparently, there are around 3 million school-age children with some type of voice disorder, but only 1 million are getting treatment. Hmm. So what's happening with the other 2 million? In a few seconds, you will hear an absolute expert in the area of voice disorders and therapy who will share with us not only extremely interesting information, but numerous analysis and therapy techniques as well. Maybe with her practical points of observation and treatment, we can more reliably identify and help the two million. Got your pen and paper handy? You're going to need it. Today, my guest is Jayanti Ray, Ph.D., CCC SLP, and she earned her degrees, including her PhD, in India in the late 1990s. Then she came to the United States and joined the faculty as an assistant professor at Washington State University. She was there for five years. Then she moved to her present position at Southeast Missouri State University, SMSU, where she's a full professor and currently teaches undergraduate and graduate courses in the Department of Communication Disorders. Now, notably at SMSU, she was awarded the Outstanding Teacher Award in 2019 and the Outstanding Researcher Award in 2013, 2015, and 2017. Wow. Her teaching and research interests are varied, from voice disorders to oral myofunctional disorders, cognitive impairments, and neurogenic speech disorders. She's presented numerous papers at the local, state, national, and international conferences on a variety of topics. And very importantly, prior to joining academia, she worked as a speech-language pathologist and consultant in pediatrics as well as adult home health, skilled nursing facilities, hospitals, and private practice. She knows therapy. And I think that's really important for university professors. Jayanti? You are a repeat guest here on the Speech Link. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me today, Shar. It is my honor and privilege to talk to you today on voice disorders in children. I'm very excited to share with you a few nuggets of wisdom, probably the ones that I collected along the way, and I'm ready. Sure. Great. I know you are, girl, and I'm ready to hear you. Now, your first podcast was very well received, and you spoke about vocal cord dysfunction. A very interesting topic and kind of one that we don't hear about very often. But today you're sharing your knowledge and expertise about a topic that we're all fairly familiar with. But wow, do we always need more practical ideas and information on, and that is voice disorders in school-age children. So let's jump in. Here's my first question. What are the common signs and symptoms of voice disorders in children? Well, before, thank you for the question. Yeah, as you all know, voice is produced by vibration of the vocal folds and voice disorders in children are likely to occur due to various pathologies. And uh, the signs and symptoms pretty much stem from those pathologies. Like if a child is not able to maintain good vocal hygiene, then probably time to time you hear some raspiness in the in voice quality. Or sometimes, you know, it's just too much strain that the child produces when using voice. So there are a variety of signs and symptoms. And the most notable one is hoarseness of voice. And no one can ever say that, oh, ah, the child sounds really great. Oh, just uh, let it go. But the hoarseness is the one that kind of jumps out and um, interferes with the vocal fold vibration. And also children make uh 
it's very difficult, you know, to get to situations where they could talk or maybe in schools when they're playing with other children, it's kind of hard to project their voice. And maybe sometimes they complain of pain in the throat and neck area. This could be due to extreme muscular tension. Sometimes they might say, well, um, I don't feel like using my voice. I'm just too tired. I can't do this. But sometimes, you know, it just kind of gets into general health condition. You just feel overly fatigued. So there could be other symptoms too, such as... um, as I was telling you about uh, like strain in voice and uh, fatigue and overall tiredness. And these symptoms and signs pretty much uh, could be understood by asking the child some questions about those signs and symptoms and asking them how they are using their voice or pointing to them that if there's some vocal habits that are really not conducive to good voicing, what are they? So the child knows what symptoms the child is experiencing. And as adults and speech language pathologists, we know what's going on in the vocal folds that needs our attention. Mm, Yes, because you mentioned that hoarseness basically interferes with the movement of the vocal folds. So that's where that, that Um, the characteristics and the etiology comes from. Is that correct? And that's what you're going to share with us? Yeah. So if a child is continuously producing a hoarse voice, actually they are targeting the vocal fold physiology. They're targeting the vocal fold structure and everything. So if I produce a voice that's hoarse and I'm trying to imitate something or I'm extremely loud, I'm screaming or yelling, and these kind of vocal habits are detrimental to overall physiology and functioning and also the status of our vocal folds. So sometimes what happens, a child might have some lesions on the vocal folds, such as, you know, little bumps like vocal nodules or vocal polyps, and that could lead to hoarseness. But sometimes it's the other way around. You practice some abnormal voicing, and that becomes detrimental to the health of the vocal folds. So typically young children, what they do is they use their voice, and that's the way to express themselves, their emotions, their status of mind, the way they play uh, with their peers, the way they interact with their environment, everything just gravitates to voice. So if they are not able to use the right voice, then they are actually coming up with some vocal fold behaviors that may not be very good for them to continue with. Because when you produce some hoarse voice and you produce some um, voice that is full of strain and stress, then you are likely to Uh, use the voice in a different manner. And from time to time, if you're using the same voice and continue with that, then you are actually inviting some changes in the vocal fold layers. And, you know, in children, it is so fascinating to study the vocal fold layers. They are still kind of developing the the layers of the vocal folds. As you all know, they're not just like two strings. We have like a five-layered vocal fold structure. And which is, yeah, which is not, very developed in children because they continue to develop the, the those layers until about 16 years of age. But in uh, yeah, and in adults, hmm, they are just they have the layers. It's very different things. But for children, you know, one thing I would say that st- since they're developing those layers, it is important to maintain some good vocal health to be able to get those layers in perspective and make sure that they're able to go through the developmental stages of voice voice or vocal structural changes. Now, during this process, they have to be mindful of how they use their voice. So, and sometimes, you know, you see that children are ex- exposed to a lot of extracurricular activities. They're in a play, they're, they're probably singing. I'm talking about the entire range of school-age children until adolescence. So they need to know like how to best use their voice so that they can prevent some abnormal vocal health later on down the road. So um, I would suggest that uh, given all that anatomical changes that they go through, it's important to maintain a voice that has a perfect pitch, I won't say perfect pitch, you know, a nice pitch range, an optimum pitch range. They're not too, you know, they're not using too high of a pitch like, oh, or too low of a pitch like this, or maybe glottal fry. Uh, 
So they should right. be using those that's detrimental to their vocal health. But they probably should not be too loud or too soft. That could interfere with their communication and also vocal fold dynamic range must be maintained because that that's what indicates that we're having a good voice and then having prob- probably some good inflections and intonation that you all need in our communication activities in our day-to-day life. And uh, it's also important to take care of the quality. Now, there are three major parameters for vocal quality. One is hoarseness, like ah, one is harshness. Ooh, <laughs> that is harsh. Ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, that hurts, hurts, right? that hurts, yeah. <laughs> You talk like this. So Ah, you you, you could just see any one of those qualities, they're not going to be very friendly to the vocal folds. So the vocal folds might just cry from within and say, oh, no, please don't use that kind of quality. We do need proper pitch, proper loudness, and very good quality. And as I told you, it's harshness, hoarseness, and breathiness. So all of these go together hand in hand to adopt a voice that's uh, very optimum for that child's age. And also voice involves multiple activities in our day-to-day life. So we want to make sure everything is just in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Now, <sighs> harshness. Okay. Does that primarily come from tension? But I know that there can be actual issues with the contact ulcers mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah, and, and well, you know, I'd like to get into that. But in general, harshness does that typically come from tension? And maybe they're, they're, that tension is because of maybe stress in their in their life. But maybe it's because they are trying to project too loudly. Do those two kind of go together? Yeah, you are uh, correct, Shar, because uh, what happens is that when you are producing a voice full of strain and that strain could come from overall like social, emotional status and psychological status, if a child is carrying too much of tension, there could be so many psychosocial problems going on. We may not be cognizant of those, but it just shows up in voice. So they could be harsh and presenting that harsh voice throughout, but that's functional. Now, we have to understand the difference between functional and organic voice disorders. So our structural voice disorders, for example, you mentioned about contact ulcers. Oh, yeah. If you're using your voice a whole lot with some hard glottal attack, for example, I say, take a deep breath and say, ah, it's great because you are releasing your air, you're using your voicing, everything is flowing out of your mouth simultaneously. That's great. But suppose you do something like this, take a deep breath and say, Ah, so you heard that hard glottal attack, and that actually is detrimental to vocal health again. Yes, that could lead to contact ulcers, and contact ulcers could lead to, yes, some harsh voice, of course. So that's kind of a lot of strain involved in that, and uh, there are two different ways, like how you can see the vocal fold behaviors happening. One is functional, one is structural. But in case it is structural, yes, uh, children may not be able to do much with it, but probably you. the first thing is that I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into management right away, but medical attention is very necess- necessary. When you hear some harshness in voice, maybe you do not know what's the cause. It's always good to know like what's causing that and what kind of factors are helping maintain that kind of behavior over time. Yes, yes. Wow. You know, I... I have a kind of a little side question here. Yes. And, you know, we talk about loudness, but there are people that talk loudly all the time. And, or at least, you know, I'm, t- I'm thinking military and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yet they don't have voice problems. Is there a, quotes correct way to talk loudly, frequently, um, that is not uh, detrimental to the vocal folds? Yes, that is actually bring up a great question. There are some people, yes, they're always loud. And I wonder sometimes, what are they doing to their vocal folds? They're loud all the time. If I were to speak like that or project my voice, I don't think I would be able to do that for some time, maybe once or twice. But yeah, actually, uh, some folks are really blessed with like the histological structure of the vocal folds. They... Maybe in the background, who knows? You know, they may be hydrating really well. They can use their voice eight hours straight, like in 
army and military. You were just using your voice. You're commanding people. You are giving instructions. You are always on the go. So there could be some histological differences as I was talking about. It could be the hyaluronic acid that actually helps repair the vocal folds anytime you have a sharing or tearing action on them due to overuse use of voice. And sometimes it could be the hydration status. Maybe they're maintaining very good health. Overall, general health is important to maintain good vocal health. And then probably there's another uh, important condition, like maybe they're using a lot of their core muscles, and which is very important. You need to be really doing some physical exercise and keeping your body fit to be able to use the core muscles or abdominal muscles to have that very good breath support for being loud. So with without proper breath support, if you try to be loud, you are actually using a lot of laryngeal tension and that doesn't take you anywhere, but overall your vocal health falls apart. But if you are using your good breath support, yes, you can be louder and you can just maintain that loudness over time. But of course, yes, you need to look back and see what are they doing uh, differently to in order to maintain that kind of voice. So it ultimately boils down to vocal health where it comes from respiratory support, it comes from hydration support, it comes from overall usage of the muscles in our body or using the right posture for voicing. So there, there are a whole lot of different strategies that you could use for managing good vocal health. Oh, very interesting. When you said using good posture, I, I instantly just sat up straight. <laughs> Good I don't you. know why, but you know, no. <laughs> I just popped right up and I'm going, what am I doing? <laughs> okay. All right. Jayanti, um, let's get into etiology analysis. You know, what we do as speech language pathologists kind of jump in and how you'd like to, you know, sort that out is, uh, is up to you. Um, but let's just talk about the you know, the functional and the organic and, and, you know, where you want to go with all of this, specifically for our school-age kids? Well, for the school-age kids, I would say uh, some of the pathologies that I would like to talk about is kind of um, asthma. Children suffer from some asthma and they have problems with vocal quality because they are not able to exhale appropriately. Sometimes they could be laryngeal infections, like, you know, they, they have some common cold and it comes down to laryngitis, which is, again, a condition which is just we all know that gets better over time but during that time like when our larynx is really vulnerable and has some infections going on and that time maintaining vocal habit is very important so anyway so those infections could uh, lead to some voice issues there could be some hoarseness or raspiness in voice sometimes children suffer from allergies and it's not very uncommon these days to see all of us have some sort of allergies one way or the other. And then um, there could be some trauma to the vocal fold, sometimes in head and neck trauma, or there could be some problems with uh, overall, you know, body. So in case someone gets hurt or someone has had an injury, that, that takes a toll on vocal health as well. So then sometimes we are in an environment, probably like in an environment where there's a lot of smoke, or maybe you are by a quarry. So you just tend to inhale a lot of airborne particles and that could affect your voice and oh, okay. children i'm sorry yeah. by a what a quarry you mean like a rock quarry yeah or no? a rock quarry. oh okay yeah. okay all right thank you i wasn't sure okay thank you yeah, that, <laughs> makes, that makes total sense <laughs> thanks and then you're welcome and then children might have some ongoing sinus issues and you know sinuses really don't um in many sense, help our voice because the voice sounds so muffled because you're taking out the beautiful resonance out of the voice as their sinus cavities get filled with inflammatory um, cells and get and and it's kind of sometimes goes on and on and we pay attention to those yes, we symptomatic treatment is available but no one really bothers to talk about voice as such. So um, yeah, those are some of the common causes and. Probably some other causes could be like if the child is, has been using the voice and always, always screaming and yelling and talking loudly, they could create some sort of changes in the vocal folds, like the vocal fold layers could thicken. It's a topmost layer that's affected the most layer could thicken 
up to an extent where some tiny bumps could be formed and those are vocal nodules. It's very common to see those. But again, you know, um, almost um, 90% of those children are sent for behavioral voice treatment because, um, you know, our ENTs or the otorhinolaryngologists cannot do much about it. So we just go back to uh, treating these children with voice therapy. So nodules are something very common. Then polyps, this is another structural lesion that could be formed exactly on the membrane structure of the vocal folds, which is very important for producing voice. Then remember in the earlier part of uh, the talk, we're discussing about contact ulcers with a heart glottal attack. That's also very common. Uh, and um, usually it's not like adults, but it just uh, stays for a while and can go away with vocal, uh, yeah, with modification of vocal behaviors. So, And uh, children are really blessed to have a lot of fibroblasts in their layers of the vocal folds and also plenty of hyaluronic acid. So that actually helps repair the vocal folds over time. No matter what the etiology is, they just tend to get better, you know, with this. And sometimes and if they're not using proper, you know, vocal health, that could get into some adult voice problems because it just continues. So these are some of the etiologies that could be like uh, taking us through different structural lesions and functional voice problems that you tend to see in school-age children. And one part, yeah, one part I didn't mention, it's about like uh, the adolescents in school, they uh, kind of go through the process, you know, there's some, they go through puberty and pre-pubertal changes and voice also changes according to that. So it's mostly in males and uh, they also you know, in the sense they adjust to the body and they adjust to the voice, the latex goes down, it just descends down to the level of C5, the cervical fifth level or sixth level vertebrae. And when all of these changes are going on, they need to lower their pitch. And sometimes they can't do that, maybe due to hormonal changes or due to lack of hormone or maybe due to some functional issues, they continue to maintain a high pitch voice. And that's way to, um, I would say, psychosocially inappropriate in school settings. And there's a lot of issues um, which are psychological that goes around with those kids. So that could be another hormone-related cause. And I had a client uh, maybe years ago. He was just six years old, a cute little boy who uh, came for a voice assessment. I said, what's the problem? You have a beautiful voice. Everything's fine. But he told me that, you know, people make fun of me outside and at school just because I they say I speak like a baby. So it's not something wrong with his pitch, but maybe his vocal tract overall did not have that growth according to his age. So he's just, whenever he speaks, he sounds like a two-year-old. And that's due to vocal tract resonance. So there could be many different causes like that. So I have to share this with you. Ultimately, what we did was uh, send him for a referral to his pediatrician. And the pediatrician gave him some hormone shots. And maybe within eight or nine months, he saw some changes in his vocal fold behaviors. In a sense, he was he thought that he was not talking like a baby anymore because his voice was sounding just like other kids. So I thought that was really interesting because I never had a client like that whom I had to just not do voice therapy. I just referred the client to his pediatrician to be in touch with the endocrinologist to get him the shots he needed. Wow, that is interesting. That is interesting. So does it have the fibroblasts and the hyaluronic acid, does that have anything to do with the growth of those layers? And um, does it have anything, does it coincide with um, how children can sort of heal themselves <laughs> over time with, with good behaviors? Mm -hmm. So that has a lot to do with, you know, the versatility that we have with the vocal fold behaviors is like the structure of the vocal folds, not only the structure overall, it's just the histological uh, findings and children suggest that children could easily um, get better from a trauma or they could just uh, get back to a very good voice provided they maintain their vocal health. And to add to that advantage, I think the fibroblasts have a lot to do with repairing 
the layers of the vocal folds. So if in case there's a polyp, it goes a little bit deeper, uh, I'm sorry, a little bit deeper than that topmost layer. So if it's a vocal fold nodule, then it stays in the first layer. But as we go deeper into the layers, that's where you find this hyaluronic acid and fibroblasts, and they just repair the vocal folds very easily as compared to, you know, adults, because they do not have as much concentration of those hyaluronic acid. Interesting. Wow. That's so interesting. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. I'm loving this. <laughs> okay. All right. So were those the, the more of the functional kinds of things that happened? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the um the allergies and colds and and all of that okay um and as far as our role in in that analysis um do we just ask the child do we talk with the parent slash caregiver um do we give the child um you know a tape recorder you know you, you tape record the kid or you record the kid there's no tape but do you record the kid and then, you know, two months later, record the child again. Is there something that we do like long-term analysis or what's involved in all of that? Well, um, it's really sad that there's so many children who need voice treatment, but only, um, I would say, out of one um, no, maybe this is the statistics that out of 3 million children suffering from voice disorders due to various pathologies, only 1 million children are kind of identified and treated, but maybe they don't go through longitudinal treatment because of time constraints, number of sessions, or, you know, there's so many other factors in the treatment aspect of it. So I think, you know, education is very important, but I would like to answer your first question before I get into this. Um, like, how do you really know that children have voice problems and how do you manage them in a longitudinal manner or using some sort of data collection and analysis. So I would say like when you first get in touch with your client, it's important to have a sample. It, it, it just, it's very easy. Like you don't have to do anything. Just say, hey, I hear that you are... Uh, you, you have a beautiful voice. Can you just sing for me? When you start with some friendly you know, approaches, you know, just, or maybe could you please uh, read this passage for me or tell me a story? Or maybe we don't get into too negative aspect. Oh, you have a voice problem. Tell me all about it. So we <laughs> right. can do that with an adult. Right. But yeah. for children, we say we can collect so many different things and ask them, hey, how's your school been? You know, did you play this game or who are your best friends? So we kind of collect a very natural sample because voice ultimately occurs in connected speech and which is something that children have to manage later on. So you start out with that sample and uh, probably... Uh, ask them to do a few tasks, like uh, you can tell them, take a deep breath and say, ah, as long as you can. And you can have some visuals for them, like, you know, taking a car and going across the table or maybe, you know, just something on the screen. You can make an airplane fly from one end of the screen to the other. So there's some, some programs for children that are available from, uh, I think I used to have KPENTEX all those nice modules for, you know, assessment of voice. So anyway, there's so many other voice programs available too that you could use, but sometimes we didn't have nothing. You yourself can do a whole lot based on positive interactions and positive rapport between you and the client. So then you could ask for the maximum phonation duration, going back to that, take a deep breath and say, ah, as long as you can, or E and the ooh, look at the vowel sounds. And sometimes you can find some differences in quality across the tasks because sometimes, oh, you could, if you didn't find anything wrong with the maximum phonation duration, like how long the child can phonate, you might find something going on wrong when the child is given a list of words to say out loud, or maybe the child is reading or the child is talking. So you have to make sure that you get some samples of voice across all of the tasks to ensure that you have the amount of informa information that you need and everything is kind of reliable. Okay. So, okay. so what, what am I looking for there and like if the child is reading some words or reading sentences am mm -hmm. i looking for abnormal tension somewhere am i listening for um the vocal quality am i looking for um how many words can he say before he has to take another breath i, I mean are those the kinds of things or what else am i looking for 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for this question. Yes. Uh, so you are looking for voice quality. Of course, the three major parameters for a voice quality, harshness, hoarseness, and breathiness. You're looking at those. You're looking at tension while producing voice. You can actually observe the child closely, seeing sometimes the neck gets tightened or sometimes there's a partial changes without the child's knowledge or sometimes, you know, just not the right um, you know, loudness that you are seeing, or maybe the child has very soft voice and unable to project their voice. And um, also you could see overall body, like um, if the child is relaxed, definitely gets to a better voice. And if the child is not in a relaxed posture, you could see some amount of turbulence in voice. So you have to kind of observe. So that's all about voice observation across all of these tasks. So you look at quality, pitch, loudness, and one important aspect of voice is resonance. So you also want to make sure when the child is saying those words out loud, where is the child's tongue located or placed? And how is the child um, articulating those sounds? Because voice is not just voice coming from our laryngeal cavity, it actually, those vibrations travel throughout our vocal tract, leading to that quality of voice. And so we cannot ignore articulation. We cannot ignore resonance. We cannot ignore respiration. And as you mentioned earlier, oh, yes, I want to know, like, is the child suffering from some respiration issues? Like where there's a lot of effort involved in respiration and the child probably doesn't have much coordination between respiration and voice. So all of these things you can check out. But the most important thing is that which I didn't mention, is that looking at the vocal folds, like a visual examination of vocal folds is very important. And now how that ties into case histories that, so I know that it's very difficult to ask children, hey, do you have acid reflux? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have a diagnosis of GERD? Oh, no, they, they can tell us all these things. <laughs> yeah. So we have to collect some good data from the parents or caregivers, whoever accompanies the child to the uh, session. So we have to ask some specific questions um, about their medical history and about vocal behaviors and a lot of other um, important aspects. For example, um, have you noticed that your child drinks enough water or what is your child's stress level in case, you know, he's in, he or she is involved in different activities? Like, is, is, does your child appear to be anxious or does your child appear to be relaxed or things like that? And, or, or overall, what's the general health of your child? So you can ask all of this medical-based information and also behavioral information from the parents or caregivers. But sometimes SLP, speech-language pathologists, can ask children directly. Um, you can feel, you can ask them, like, do you feel your voice is a little different than others? Have you felt something like that tires you easily? Or have you been in voice therapy before? Do you feel something like a pain in your throat area? Or hey, how much water do you drink every day? So do you like tea or do you like milk or do you drink a lot of soda? So you can just ask uh, those basic questions. And sometimes children may end up saying, you know what, if I talk quietly, then my voice doesn't come out and uh, my throat is kind of scratchy all the time. Sometimes I don't feel like talking at all. I get into a bad mood or something and I don't feel like talking. Or sometimes I feel like something is stuck and I try to swallow to the best of my ability, but, you know, it still feels that something is there in the throat. So you immediately know what to infer from those statements. Or sometimes they say, oh, I don't like to answer questions in class and my teacher asks me questions because I don't feel like it. Because when I speak something, you know, in class, um, my uh, friends just say that's not a good voice or I'm not speaking right. They may not be able to tell you exactly what it is, but they say, hey, you sound funny. That's what right. <laughs> they complain. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to so tie it back to the overall voice assessment profile. We need to visually examine the voice. So how do you do that? So you can, ha I know not, not everyone has access to video stroboscopy or endoscopy. Right. But some of the, yeah, some of the places we are blessed to have that in, that kind of instrument that doesn't need any preparation or whatsoever. We can just stick the scope through nose or through mouth and ask the child, hey, I'm just trying to 
take a picture of your vocal folds and it's uh, how it looks like or the voice box we typically say in other vocal folds maybe and then they get very uh, comfortable with the terminology these days kids are very smart and they like to know more about themselves they ask good questions and it is not very difficult to get the um I would say it's not very difficult to get the rigid scope into their mouth and quickly see um, like how their vocal folds look like. Now, how do you correlate those visual findings back to our perceptual assessment, which kind of as a sequence of tasks? So what we hear is what we see. That's what the correlation you have to make. So if we see the vocal folds have slight, you know, redness on the surface, you know, oh, that doesn't look very good. Then immediately try to find out, has the child been allergic to something or has he or she been suffering from some allergies or maybe those are allergies that last throughout the season? So or that could be laryngitis, you know, who knows, you know, just you have to kind of watch out for those, um, you know, different looks of the vocal folds. And then suppose you find out some white patches on the extreme posterior end of the vocal folds, you know that that's not something natural, normal. Maybe there's some contact also in there, or maybe there's some granular tissues uh, across this layer, I'm, I'm sorry, across that area. So it could be concentrated in one area or maybe pushed back further. So the child may not complain much, but then from time to time, the voice quality suffers. And sometimes you can see the vocal folds themselves are not looking very good because there's a thickening that's there and the vocal folds are not closing appropriately. So immediately, you know, oh, the vocal folds are not closing. That means the child has some breathy voice. Or if the child is using strain and has breathy voice, that strain our harsh voice plus breathy component lead to hoarse voice. Uh-huh. So that kind of gives you an idea that, okay, what you see is what you hear and what the child is, has been explaining about symptoms, they all are aligned. So that alignment is very important to understand as you do a voice assessment. And I would say the input from parents and caregivers are so, so important because children cannot articulate very well what's going on with their you know, medical side. They may not know the things. And sometimes you have to infer like looking at the information at hand and also looking at the vocal folds. And one interesting finding with children is that sometimes they will not be able to tell you, oh, yeah, you know, uh, that I have reflux disease, as I was mentioning earlier. But you have to ask them about their habits, how much water they drink, when do they have the snack, do they have enough time between snack and bedtime. So if you see something happening like that and the child explains that he or she feels there's a lump in the throat always, so that is indicative of acid reflux. You can ask more questions about it. Oh, do you feel some change in taste in your mouth from time to time or when you wake up in the morning? Does your voice feel, feel funny or do you have some sour taste in your mouth or did you sleep well? So all of these are indicative of something medical that is going on. So we have to control that medical condition to be able to um, get to this optimum vocal health. So one video stroboscopy when a child has reflux, I've seen like many so far, not only children, but also adults, like they have some patches of redness in the posterior end of the vocal folds like you know you have the anterior commissure of the vocal folds where they're more toward the thyroid cartilage and when you go to the back uh, where they're attached to the arytenoid cartilages you see those nice mounds and they're all kind of flushed red and you know that oh my gosh some terrible reflux has been going on but you have to also correlate with the case history if someone says oh i don't have reflux but it's still red so you have to find out why there could have been some micro hemorrhages on the vocal folds or there could have been some other things like infections. You know, they could also have some uh, spot, uh, you know, like redness and spots throughout the vocal folds. So there are maybe allergies. And sometimes you might see some white patches on the vocal folds. And that's indicative of some thrush, like um, fungal infections. And yeah, those, all those conditions, even though they appear like, oh, the vocal folds are vibrating really well, even if those pathologies are there or some changes are there on the folds. But still, it's kind of effortful to produce that voicing because we all kind of try to compensate for our losses in different ways. So sometimes I've seen children with pathologies in the vocal folds and then having a great voice because they are trying to get around that by changing and adapting their vocal fold vibration 
to the lesions. So those are some important considerations as we try to get this vocal assessment in place. And once, yeah, once assessment is all done, then you need to chart out a nice treatment plan so that it's beneficial to the child. Good. Now, before we move on, I'd like you to spend 30 seconds on, because um, this is kind of related. I mean, allergies are so pervasive and a lot of kids and a lot of us have chronic post-nasal drip and we're constantly clearing our throat or a little cough or a big cough. I mean, does that over time deteriorate what's going on uh, with the vocal folds? And is that something that you're going to see as well? What would you see down there? Anything? You know, and that is again a great question. So if a child has a habit of always clearing his or her throat, and that is an inappropriate vocal behavior. So over time, you tend to damage the tissues, the tissues that are in the epithelial layer, the topmost layer of the vocal folds. So over time, you'll see there's some, um, I would say some rough edges on the vocal folds in case there's something going on. But sometimes you may see nothing, or sometimes you might see some extremely dehydrated vocal folds where there's strings of mucosa everywhere. and uh, and it is just uh, produces different images. Like suppose someone has some other issues going on, they can have some rough edges on the vocal folds, and you can see that's kind of not nice. And children who constantly clear their throat, they're actually producing more and more phlegm. That could be due to dehydration, or that could be due to pervasive allergies that you mentioned about. Oh yes, and then to just feel better for time being, they cough and maybe that's not productive enough, but they still keep coughing. So all of those behaviors definitely are detrimental to vocal folds. And I've seen that when vocal folds are very much dehydrated, you, as I was mentioning, the strings of mucosa, they just run from one fold to the other and it creates a kind of a spider web. And that was one of the <laughs> vocal folds they saw. And I can't still forget that because there's so many strings on mucosa it was really not a good looking vocal folds but then as compared to that a hydrated well hydrated vocal folds will be like reflecting a lot of white light and all of the surrounding regions will be light pinkish in color showing that they're fully hydrated so yes and um and those dehydrated vocal folds and then abnormal coughing or coughing out loud all the time and maybe throat clearing as a habit can could be very much detrimental to the vocal fold health as well as structurally it could damage the vocal fold layers as well. I would say the topmost layer. No, it couldn't be good. It can go down, but it's just a topmost Okay. One. All right. Interesting. So that moves us into therapy. And certainly we want want to have the um closer evaluation by a physician. Um, but then what do we do? And, you know, in the case of a child that's chronically clearing their throat and it's not productive and blah, 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 or maybe it moves into habit. Um, do we come in there on, on some type of therapy? And if so, what do you recognize, what do you recommend? And then, um, Get us into therapy here. What do we do? All right. That is like the <laughs> grand finale in the therapy. <laughs> yes. So I feel like after knowing everything, what can you do? You have to just ask, what do we do with the kids? And how? And the reason we have to do something is because we cannot let this hoarse voice go on or, you know, rough voice or breathy voice go on for a, not, not mentioned for a long time, a period of time. So... First thing is that before doing voice therapy, it's important to seek some medical clearance. So there could be functional problem or maybe there are some pathologies, real pathologies there. It's always good to have a report from the ENT, otorhinolaryngologist, or maybe the child's pediatricians, at least if they viewed the vocal folds, different places have different facilities. So I would say just having a medical clearance helps the speech therapist to kind of get started on 
voice management. So in case of detrimental vocal behaviors that lead to functional voice problems, I would say go ahead and establish a checklist and with the do's and don'ts and reward the child. You all know that how positive reinforcement works with children and make every session of voice therapy very much fun and interactive. And I've seen that over time, maybe you need eight to 10 sessions overall to just get rid of some functional voice problems. So you have to establish good vocal hygiene by saying, um, if you eat food, make sure you have plenty of water after that. And if you are eating too many late night snacks, avoid those. And if you are in the playground and you are playing out there in the sun, make sure you're hydrated time to time, drink some water and how much water you have drank and just keep a little bit of log. So okay, I've done one cup or one glass and put a little check mark or a little sticker that adults could reinforce those great habits. And uh, children can also be told not to yell too in the sense when you talk about yelling it's always loud so how to yell in a, in a better way so sometimes we all have to yell but I would say when you're calling out for someone from far distance try to make sure that you are not in a very noisy place in that case walk up to the person and use your voice with good projection tell them about breathing like how they could still yell but yell appropriately not taking the stress on the larynx itself, but actually using their abdominal or core muscles to be able to have a good breath support before they project their voice and feel like they're loud enough. So that gauging of loudness and the gauging of breath support, that's just so important for children to understand. And sometimes if you tell them, they may not be able to do it. So model, model, model. So I would say, hey, this is a good voice. Hey, this is a bad voice. Which one would you choose? So they have to kind of understand like why they're choosing a good voice and what it does to their vocal folds. And I remember using some visuals for children early on when they get started. I, I explained them their voice problems. I use a model of the larynx, even though it is all medical, but they tend to take interest in learning, which I was very much blessed to have those nice kiddos. They um, asked good questions and said, what is good? What is bad? And um, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And then I said, do as I do. I just model them uh, for them, this uh, good vocal behaviors and bad vocal behaviors and ask them to read with some good vocal behaviors. Or if they, it's, it has to be that any activity you do for therapy must be appropriate for that age. But these are all about vocal hygiene or vocal health-based activities. But suppose you have a child who comes to you with vocal nodules, like they're not like really callous uh, are very hard, but they're just formed and they're pliable. And uh, the ENTs kind of expect you to work with the child to get rid of the nodules because they are very skeptical in any kind of surgery on children until unless it's something invades through the layers and it's a huge polyp or a tumor or something they need to remove. That's a different thing. Or maybe they're cysts and you really cannot help the child a lot. But with vocal nodules, oh yes, a child with vocal nodules will typically present with hoarseness and harsh and breathiness depending on how their vocal folds are functioning. So you need to take the child into therapy and establish a good um, therapy regimen for the child. So first thing I would do is when a child carries lots of tension in the vocal fold area just because the child is dealing with those that thickening of the um, epithelial layer or maybe there's some well-formed nodules in place and how do you get rid of that? So you have to take the tension out because tension causes like up to 99% of the voice problems. Sometimes it is very implicit, sometimes it's very explicit, or sometimes you know about it, sometimes you do not know about it, but you're still having tension. So you have to be in the sense, cognizant of that and have to make the child aware in this case. So whatever the child does, it's always important to have self-monitoring abilities instilled in children. Now, uh, talking about techniques, there are some great evidence-based techniques out there. And one of my favorites, I would say favorites, it's just because children respond to that so well. I would say it is highly, highly evidence-based and that works really well with children. Uh, uh, the semi-occluded vocal fold or vocal tract exercises. So 
Same, when I say semi-occluded vocal tract exercises, that means I'm doing some negative pressure exercises. I'm taking the pressure off of my vocal folds and trying to instill a behavior where there is enough air cushion around the vocal folds. The vocal folds are well situated. They have a good posture and the vocal tract is relaxed overall. So Coming back to semi-occluded, why do we say semi-occluded? Just because we're occluding the vocal tract at some point. And you know, as we all know, our vocal tract extends from a nasal cavity, toral cavity, and all the way down to the vocal fold level. So if we make some constriction at our oral cavity, just um, trying to get a straw in our mouth. So children typically love this activity because it starts out with blowing air bubbles. So you put a straw and make sure the straw is uh, really sealed well. There should be no air leakage. Take a little cup of water and blow through the straw just like this. See how steady that was. See if it is turbulent, you know, oh, that's not a good breath support because breath support has to be very steady. So as you're teaching them steady breath support, I help them put put the hand on an abdomen and feel the muscles like squeezing in. You do need that abdominal support when you are working on exhalation and voice production. So that's very important. I tell, I time them, hey, can you do that for six seconds? Oh, great. Can you do for eight and 10 and 12? When I reach 15, I guess, ah, that's, that's good enough for conversational voice. I stop there. But it's not just blowing bubbles. You want to add voice to it later on. So make sure the straw is actually not touching the bottom of the glass. Uh, the cup you take water in. So just make sure it's two centimeters or 2.5 centimeters above. So you can have a very good area to blow the bubbles and not have the splash on yourself. So uh, I can blow the bubbles like this again and add voice now. I can actually fall asleep if I do that for some time. <laughs> so you can actually use your voice and that is the resonant voice, very relaxing because you have lots of nice relaxed muscles around your neck and vocal folds. You know that we have extrinsic muscles and neck muscles that from time to time support our voice. And you want to make all of those muscles get into a dormant state and sleep a little bit. So your vocal folds are kind of working. So with the voice, you know, it's a very relaxed voice and the children understand, oh, it's an easy voice, it's a good voice, and it is it doesn't have any tension. But then you can start with pitch because sometimes what happens when children have vocal nodules or some sort of, you know, thickening of the vocal folds and maybe there's some scratches or there are some rough edges, whatever the pathology is, it doesn't matter. So we have to make sure that functionally we're able to elicit a voice that is devoid of any kind of tension. So at the same time, we also have to be mindful of one thing because when we have some pathologies, our vocal folds don't vibrate really well. So we are restricted in terms of pitch, in terms of loudness. Sometimes the child can only produce some soft voice and not a voice that the child could reject. So sometimes the child could have a pitch that is not normal for the child, but maybe it is too high or low, or there are some pitch breaks, and pitch breaks are very commonly seen in vocal nodules. That because the vocal folds try to warp around the lesion, and while doing so, they leave some gaps in the vocal fold, um, you know, glottis, so the area between the vocal folds. So at different places, you see a little bit of gaps, and then some different places, the vocal folds are either vibrating too fast or too slow, leading to some double pitch perception. So I would like to add some voice to it as we did, but then also like to add some glissando, like, you know, going from low pitch to high pitch. So it would be like this. So I would try to do low pitch to high pitch and high pitch to low pitch. And this exercise actually is uh, very well received by children. And sometimes I would say, make your voice softer, make your voice louder, and make your voice just right, you know, the moderate loudness level. So it's very important to just give them an understanding because everything happens proprioceptively so much. You can provide some visual reminders and install the self-monitoring ability, but ultimately when they feel what they're producing is the best thing to happen. They feel, oh, I feel so much relaxed with this. Oh, I feel my voice is doing great. But not only with cup 
and straw. And what, what I demonstrated is about um, semi-occluded vocal tract exercises with the straw. There are many other semi-occluded vocal tract exercises available where you take the tension out of the vocal folds and take it more further into the anterior section, for example, blowing raspberries or having some lip trolls and tongue trolls and even saying the sound la 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 even these sounds are helpful in having some sort of constriction at the level of the oral cavity, just relieving the pharyngeal cavity and the laryngeal cavity of stress and strain. So, yeah, then after that, I do one more thing. I don't do a whole lot, but sometimes, you know, when I see things working, I get so excited and continue with that. And then if uh, something we needed, like a variety, I actually do a lot of resonance therapy too. And children just love it. And I know that some children who actually sing or are taking some music lessons, they're at an advantage because sometimes the teacher end up saying, oh, I don't like that voice and make it a little bit softer, make it louder or emphasize here. So they're getting some sort of instructions for their music. And it makes me feel great because when they come into therapy, they're already educated about resonance. But no, with the scientific terms though but they say oh this is a good easy buzzy voice and that's that voice is really good to keep up because it helps with singing and also i actually do one more thing the resonant voice therapy like where um you have to have very uh, relaxed vocal fold behaviors like for example when the vocal folds touch each other with some force that is detrimental because they remember coughing and throat clearing. We try to we'll try to avoid all of those just because it's not good for the layers of the vocal folds to just get in touch so quickly and um, and it produce some harshness and strain and roughness in voice. So instead of doing that, we want to assume a vocal fold posture. So it's just not our body posture, but our vocal folds also love an optimal posture where. The vocal folds are not like touching each other with force. They're just barely touching each other and they're barely letting you take the air out. So that posture means the vocal folds have lots of air around them and they can vibrate with full in their full potential having those nice mucosal waves. So you have a voice like... Uh, very relaxed, like you, you remember the yawn sigh approach we used to do a lot, you know, <laughs> like uh, taking a deep breath and saying, ah, the yawn sigh. And then, um, and they're all related because ultimately what you're trying to do is getting an easy answered voice. That's what it is with yawn sigh. And you're relieving the layerings of all the tension. And then you can get into more of speech sounds, like you could get into and humming with the m sound humming from low to high and high to low that's like establishing some sort of pitch range and you can do softer and louder and have lots of variations that helps a lot with our day-to-day communication activities yeah and then um i think it's a great idea like sometimes to have the syllables like it's just like traditional otic treatment you know you just start with the phonemes you go to syllables and words phrases and sentences so i could do ma 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 and i'll chant it throughout chanting actually helps release vocal fold tension and then i can say i can alternate the syllables i could say mama papa mama papa mama papa i'm chanting again and then i can say so i'm using a stop consonant i'm using a nasal and i'm just kind of alternating it just to have more control on the syllables and have a perfect voice that is devoid of any harshness hoarseness or breathiness okay i'm sure that sometimes little breathiness is okay but um i don't think you need to have lots of breathiness because that will increase effort on your voice because you're using lot of air and the air just escapes for no reason so you're not able to vibrate your vocal folds yes, yes. But- good excellent excellent now do you have a lot of these written down or maybe you've done a video where can we learn more I haven't done a video, unfortunately, but I do have a PowerPoint that I can share with you, like with some uh, nice techniques that have worked and children 
definitely like those because we have different station. I'd say, hey, this is your resonance station. Let's just have some exercises here. At the next station, we go to different play activity. We are producing lots of um, words, for example, words that have nasal sounds because that adds to resonance. And, you know, like there's some very familiar sentences, mama made lemon jam. And you keep saying that mama made lemon jam. And you are actually doing the exercises without knowing that it is so much relaxing to the vocal folds. Great. And then, Great. yeah, the, lots of activities and lots on lots of materials that children could use for their voice. There are stories just made based on nasal sound. The stories is based on some anterior sounds that we have that relaxes the vocal folds. Suppose you do v or s or z. I will not do any um, voiceless sounds because I would try to use my voice or choose all the voice sounds and those are relaxing to the vocal folds as well. That kind of thing is in that PowerPoint? Yes, I can share that PowerPoint for you. Okay, that would be great. So those that would like that additional information could perhaps email you? Is that possible? Yeah, okay, okay. absolutely. Yeah, there are people that, you know, they're listening to it here on Speech Therapy PD, but there's going to be people that are listening to it um, on Podbean and TuneIn and Apple Podcasts, and they won't have access to the handout. So um, why don't you give us your email and then who would whoever would like could email you and if you would be so kind to send that to that person. What's your email? It's J-R-A-Y at S-E-M-O dot E-D-U. So it reads like this, J-R-A-Y at C-M-O dot E-D-U. Okay, nice and short, short and sweet. Okay, <laughs> sweet, just like you. Thank oh. you so much. You are incredible. I, I always, I love listening to you because... You tell me so many things that I've never heard and you pull information together and it's always so practical and useful. Thank you so much, Jayanti. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Shar, for this opportunity. I truly appreciate your time and patience with me. It has been a pleasure talking to you about voice therapy for this past hour. Thank I know. You. It's so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Speech Link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvochart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well, and God bless.